Let us pray. Father, indeed, we do pray, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Have your way in our hearts and lives. Have your way in our church as we marvel at the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, who came as a man to redeem fallen humanity, and whose turn we await. So even now, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. So good to see all of you here, and good morning to everyone watching via the live stream. Once again, so glad that you've joined us. I'm going to dive right in this morning, so I'd ask you to turn in your Bibles or devices with Scripture on them, or grab a Bible under the pew where you're seated and turn to the 11th chapter of the prophet Isaiah. Today, looking at our Old Testament reading from the prophet of Isaiah, as we're doing for all four Sundays in Advent, looking to the promises which God made through his Old Testament prophets is especially appropriate during this Advent season. Throughout the opening chapters of Isaiah, the prophet speaks of the hope of the promised Messiah who is yet to come. We heard about this in Isaiah 2 last Sunday with regard to Christ's second coming. And between chapter 2 and chapter 11, the prophet continues to speak in that sense leading up to chapter 11. Isaiah 11 also focuses on Christ's advent, but in the lead up we hear these words, Isaiah chapter 4, excuse me, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The promise continues to unfold and be revealed in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, where we read, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Continuing in verses 6 through 7 of Isaiah chapter 9, for, un, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now in today's Old Testament reading, we see this prophecy coming into fuller bloom. And yet again, in a trying time in the word, excuse me, in a trying time, God gives a word of hope to his Old Testament people. This was a dark time in the life of Israel. They were experiencing an existential threat from the Assyrians, and they indeed would be swept away into captivity because of their disobedience to God. Now let's be clear. God permitted this as a judgment for their continued disobedience to him and disobedience to his commands of the covenant which he had made with them. And although they came close to total destruction because of their lack of trust and obedience in the Lord, that destruction, that captivity was not God's final word. Because even as we talked about last Sunday and see again today, God also extends to them the promise of a royal Messiah, a deliverer who is yet to come. And this brings promise 
ultimate confidence and renewed hope not only to God's Old Testament people, but also to God's church, to God's people of the new covenant, and that includes you and me. Alec Moyer in his commentary on Isaiah says this, Undated hope is a living, ever-present assurance of God's people. And it is at this point that the passage speaks as much to the church today as in Isaiah's time. There is an incredible beauty in God's promises. God's promises which are a beautiful testimony to his faithfulness and his love for you and me and to his people in every age. And, and this beauty in part is that his his word is applicable and will come to pass even over thousands of years. So the promises that God spoke to Old Testament Israel, those prophecies that are fulfilled, fold into the promises and the blessing of God in our lives, and we are beneficiaries of those promises. God's promises are a beautiful and wondrous thing. They are a testimony to his faithfulness, and they should renew us in confidence that all that God promises, past, present, and future, all that God promises will indeed come to pass. Amen? And we can rest in this fact because God is true. God keeps his promises and will indeed accomplish that which he has said that he will accomplish. And even as we focus on the coming of the Lord in Advent, we see God's promises fulfilled in the past through Christ's first appearing. We see his promises continuing to be fulfilled in the church age, and we see them coming to completion with Christ's promised return. Now keep in mind when the Old Testament prophets wrote, they often did not understand what was just a word to Israel, an exhortation or a corrective to God's people in that moment, what was a prophecy relating to the first coming of Christ or the church age or ultimately the return of Christ and all the things at the end of the age. It's kind of like a prophet, what God reveals to them. They're looking across at mountain peaks. If you've ever stood in the mountains, look, you can see all the peaks. But the prophet at that time has no sense of how wide the gap or the valley is between each of those peaks. So in other words, the expanse of years between each of those key points, they only know what the Lord specifically gave them. So it's important to keep that in mind. So prophecies for Israel in the day and for us and for relating to the, the first advent of Christ and relating to Christ's second advent can all be folded together, sometimes even in one chapter in a prophetic passage. But this passage today served as to remind Old Testament Israel, and it reminds us wonderfully that even in the midst of darkness and evil, which may seem to be overwhelming, there is a king who has come, and a king who will come again, and in his hands even godly people who seem to be on the cusp of being overwhelmed by the evil around them, and those who are weak and vulnerable in the eyes of the world, are ultimately loved, and we are wholly secure in our God. Despite what circumstances may look like, despite what the world around us may say, we are secure in God, in his loving care, and in his promises. So let's look briefly at the promises and picture of this divine king's rule toward which Isaiah points 
as a word of hope to God's people in every generation. First, we have the divine promise in verse 1. This coming king who we know because we look back on these events, we know is Jesus, the eternal son of God, is both the shoot and the root of Jesse. That's important. He is both the shoot and the root of Jesse. We know the scripture foretold the Messiah would come from the line of King David. But that fact alone could point to merely human origins. However, this Messiah not only springs forth from Jesse, King David's father, he is also the root of Jesse, as Isaiah the prophet says. So this Messiah is the root and the support of the family line into which he is born. That is a profound, profound truth of Scripture to ponder. In other words, he created, established, and preserved this family. And this clearly points to the fact that he is both eternal and divine. This is why prophecies about Jesus point to him not only simply as one born into David's line of descendants, but as another David. Because again, he is the very creator of the human family into which he was born as a man. Ezekiel 34 reminds us of this truth of another David. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them, I am the Lord, I have spoken. Remember, this is written long after David, King David, passed from this world. Hosea 3.5 says, Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. I know some of this we're talking about this morning right now is a little bit heady, but this is critical truth for us to understand. Such wonderful fulfillment by God of his promises should build our faith and trust in him. Because he is indeed at work, and what he has promised will indeed come to pass. So we have God's promise in verse 1. Then in verses 2 through 4, we have God's divine empowerment. The promised Messiah rules not through earthly means, but in the power of the Spirit of the Lord. Because the fullness of God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God himself, the third person of the Trinity, rests upon him. John the Baptist prophesied this as we heard in today's Gospel reading. Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 through 12. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John personally witnessed the fulfillment of this in terms of the Spirit coming upon Jesus at his baptism as we read on a little further in the Gospel. And with the Spirit resting upon Jesus, his ministry, his, his ministry is perfectly marked by wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, godly knowledge, not knowledge of this world, and the fear of the Lord. 
Here again, what John the Baptist prophesied. He will baptize you, you, with the Holy Spirit. A people redeemed by Jesus through his rule and reign in our lives. As that people, we too can demonstrate and live out the realities of these qualities. Wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, godly knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. We are called to be people of the Spirit. We are called to be people filled with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit of God and His purity and His holiness. And our lives and the power in which we operate must be not by earthly means or temporal power. We should never seek those things. But in the power of the Spirit, we should hunger for more of God and the holy work of God in us to make us more like Christ so that we could be those channels of God's grace and God's blessing and God's life to those around us. We need to desire God's character and God's divine empowerment and not seek some cheap substitute of with the power and the temporal um, blessings of this world. And then finally, we have God's divine rule and security in verses 3 through 9. Look at those verses with me, far more than we can cover this morning. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Their nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Again, there's so much more here than we can cover in just the few moments that we have. So let's summarize these verses in this way. This coming one, who we know is Jesus, does not rule in the way of the world or according to the values of the world. Everything in this passage points to that reality. He doesn't judge by what is only seen or observable. He doesn't judge by that which is merely visible. He sees true reality, all reality, including in the spiritual realm, with absolute and perfect knowledge. This means that his rule is characterized by true and absolute justice, not the skewed carnal justice of this world, which is so often flawed and so often administered by wicked earthly rulers. His rule demonstrates the reality and the character and the justice of God. True justice for people who may even be living godly lives but have been pushed to the margins and are dehumanized because of human sin and wickedness. God indeed will set things aright. 
And God doesn't look on outward appearances or what we say. God, as Scripture reminds us, sees the heart and looks to the heart. And his rule brings, will bring in our lives as we, the people of God, press in to know him more and walk according to his promises. His divine rule will bring a divine reordering of our very being as his people, just as it did in the first century for those who had a transformative encounter with Christ. And as we live out our faith in, in the here and now, we are still works in progress. But God is at work transforming every single one of us who belongs to him, making us into his image. And the fullness of that divine reordering will only be accomplished in this world as God th sets things aright with Christ's return, with his second coming. But for those who are his, he gives us a new nature, a nature that is like unto Christ, our Redeemer, a nature that is holy, a nature that is righteous. And he's remaking us more and more into the people he has called us and created us to be. And then finally, with his second appearing, with his second advent, all that was lost through the fall in Genesis will be fully and completely and wholly restored. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Last Sunday for our processional hymn, we sang, Lo, he comes with clouds descending, which is traditionally sung on the first Sunday in Advent. And Charles Wesley so wonderfully captured this imagery for those that both belong to Christ, who have a living relationship with God, and those who don't in verses 2, 3, and 4 of this wonderful, glorious hymn. Every eye shall now behold him robed in dreadful majesty. Those who set it not and sold him, pierced and nailed him to the tree, deeply wailing, deeply wailing, shall the true Messiah see. The dear tokens of his passion still his dazzling body bears, cause of endless exultation to his ransomed worshipers. With what rapture, with what rapture gaze we on those glorious scars. Yea, amen, let all adore thee, high on thy eternal throne. Savior, take the power and glory, claim the kingdom for thine own. Hallelujah, hallelujah, everlasting God, come down. In that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Advent is a season of expectation. Advent is a season of hope. Advent is a season of promise. May we open ourselves to God's divine reordering of our lives, day by day, step by step. May we let go of trusting in the power and the things of this world and fully embrace and yield ourselves to the power and the priorities of God and his eternal kingdom. May we in Advent, as we reflect on what God has promised, his promises that have come to pass already and those that are yet to come to pass in this Advent, may we be hungry for more of God. And may we do that knowing that we are in God's hands, no matter what is happening in the world around us. 
and we have the assurance as his people that God is faithful and God does indeed keep his promises. Let us pray. Father, draw us to yourself. In this season of Advent, may we reflect upon why Jesus had to come and live and die for us. May we reflect upon the reality that all of your promises are yes and amen in Christ. Father, fill our hearts with hope, with promise, with a deep sense of God-breathed expectation as we look to you and are strengthened. God, make us hungry for more of you. Lord, may we yield ourselves more fully and make space in our lives for you to do your good, gracious, and glorious work that many may know that Christ is Savior and Lord and experience his transforming power in their lives. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.